In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. In this meditation, we want to pray about the reality of spiritual direction. Spiritual direction, or as the Pope likes to call it, spiritual accompaniment, is when we go to someone who is struggling to live holiness himself or herself, and we ask them for help, and particularly with advice to counsel us on how best we can reach holiness ourselves. When we look at scripture, we find that St. Paul, when he converted, when he was Saul and he saw that great light on the way to Damascus and he fell to the ground and, and, and spoke to our Lord, that our Lord did not convert him all at once. Our Lord wanted to avail himself of another person to finish that conversion process in St. Paul's life. And it's interesting how our Lord could have done everything himself, could have baptized Paul himself, could have explained things to Paul himself. He could have catechized him. He could have, um, you know, given him everything he needs in order to just go and turn around and become a great apostle. And yet he did not. He wanted St. Paul to go to a man named Ananias. And as we read in Acts of the Apostles, where it says that this man, he was not particularly known. In fact, we don't know anything else about him except that he was praying and he listened to our Lord. Our Lord came to him and and he said, I, I want you to go to the street called Straight and ask at the house of Judas for a man of Tarsus named Saul. The only thing we know about Ananias is that he, he kind of objects to this suggestion of our Lord, this command of our Lord. And he says, Lord, I have heard many from many about this man, how much evil he has done to the saints in Jerusalem and, and how he has authority from the high priests to arrest all those in, invoking your name. But the Lord says, Go, for this man is a chosen vessel to me to carry my name among nations and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So our Lord insists, and Ananias departs and enters the house, and that's where he lays his hands on him, and he says, Brother Saul, the Lord has sent me, Jesus who appeared to you on your journey, that you may recover your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And straight away there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he recovered his sight and rose 
and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regains his strength. Paul didn't know who this Ananias was, but he trusted him because our Lord pointed him out. And our Lord could have not used Ananias, but he chose to want Ananias to talk to Paul and to baptize him and to catechize him and to kind of lead him into the community of faith. And that is this Ananias that we want to look for in our lives. Who are our Ananiases, right? Those people that are around our lives that can help us on our path to holiness. And somehow through them, we discern the will of God. Through their dialogue with us, we discern the will of God. It's not that what they say is infallibly the will of God. It's, it's not like that, that God uses instruments. Uh, although he could have, but that's not the way he, he normally does it. It's through a kind of um, discernment process, right? So it's Ananias who prays and St. Paul who prays. The spiritual director who prays for the person that he or she directs. And, and vice versa, the person who is being directed, who is being accompanied, prays for discernment and prays for the person who, who is guiding him or her. And Ananias is really not an important figure, we could, we could argue. You know, he's not like St. Paul or St. Peter or St. John, or he's not an apostle. But it doesn't matter. Actually, he's there at the right time, at the right place, doing his humble job of listening to our Lord. And his action is actually very, very important in the life of Paul, right? And why does our Lord want to use other people to help us along our path to holiness? Couldn't he do it himself? You know, sometimes it's hard to talk to someone because I, well, I have to open up my soul to them and that may be difficult. Why can't I just speak to God himself? Well, one of the things that we see in creation, St. Thomas tells us, is that all things are kind of led to their ultimate purpose um, in different ways. You know, like, like rocks, simply by existing, they are led to give glory to God, you know, and they fulfill their purpose. But he says a more perfect way of actually fulfilling the, the will of God is when one creature helps another. And you can see it with, with flowers that need a bee to pollinate them. And St. Thomas says, well, that shows a greater kind of order and a greater uh, higher intelligence that actually designed all that. And, you know, it shows a more perfect way of actually giving glory to God when one creature helps another. And if we take that to the human level and to the spiritual level, when we help one another, that gives more glory to God. It, it shows how God can actually use other people as instruments in order to guide us, each one of us, to our ultimate 
goal, our ultimate end that God has in store for us. And how that happens, well, that, that is part of the mystery of, of God's will. And when we look at history, we see how there's so many people that have helped one another. And when we see it in hindsight, we say, well, obviously, that was God's will. I mean, like Ananias and St. Paul, but there's others. For instance, Gregory of Naziensis and Basil, they were friends. And they both became bishops, and they both became fathers of the church and doctors of the church. And that friendship kind of was used by God that as a as an occasion for holiness, for greater holiness for each of those of those two great saints. The same thing we could see with um, someone more recent saint therese saint therese and her parents you know somehow saints are always found together <laughs> where you find one saint you find another and and also saint jose maria and blessed alvaro you know blessed alvaro was the spiritual director of saint jose maria for decades for many many years and you can see that when saint jose maria became or became a blessed, was beatified. Blessed Alvaro was there in St. Peter's Square with um, John Paul II. And it just must have been a great occasion for Blessed Alvaro to know that somebody that that he was involved with for many years and, and that somehow that God used his own advice and his own prayer and his own sacrifice you know, to help someone become a saint. It's kind of mind-boggling how that could be, you know. It's humiliating, you know, that God can use us as instruments. I don't know what went through his mind when he was there in St. Peter's Square at the beatification of then-blessed Jose Maria. But now we see that Blessed Alvaro has also been raised to the altars as and become uh uh, a blessed himself and and so we see that both of these men have have helped each other to go to God to get closer to God to find their their path to God and of course blessed Alvaro was led by by somebody else and 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 that speaks volumes of God's action in souls how he can use other people as instruments to help, you know, somebody become a saint. Well, it shouldn't surprise us because God is omnipotent and God does many great things if we let him, though. He always wants our cooperation. If we look at scripture, we see how St. <coughs> Paul talks about the... Thessalonians, he's kind of impressed at how much they, at how lucky they are to have received the word of God. And he's kind of in awe. And he says, therefore, we too give thanks to God without ceasing. Because when you heard and received from us the word of God, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it truly is the word of God who works in you who have believed. It's interesting because St. Paul led these Thessalonians to holiness. 
he preached the word of God to them and they embraced the word of God. And he's so impressed that, you know, they, they had enough humility to have accepted his words and interpreted them or discerned them as, or I should better say, discern the word of God amidst those human words of his. And he says, and it works, right? It works. It, God who works in you who have believed. Why does it work? Because they have believed that somehow Paul was a witness of Christ. And, and because they have believed it, because they have enough humility to accept those words and to accept the advice that they received, they were able to make progress on their path to holiness. See, spiritual direction only works with trust. If we don't trust, it doesn't work at all. And when we trust, not only, yes, we trust the person that guides us, obviously, but more importantly, it's trusting God working through that person in, in, a, in a way that through, you know, the conversation and, and the, uh, his listening or her listening to us, that, and then the advice they give, that that's somehow God's will, right? Again, it's not because they are being dictated that by God verbatim or something like that, but, but that God uses that. He, somehow he's there. There's a lot of grace in that, in those conversations of spiritual direction, and that something good will come out of it if we actually are humble enough to heed the advice that they give us. And of course, if they give us advice that cannot be fulfilled because it is against the law or against natural law or against eternal law and against any law, that's not spiritual direction, right? So we have to have enough maturity to know the purview of spiritual direction and to know that, 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 that if, if, if a certain person who's guiding our soul says something out of whack, you know, that, that that's not a valid piece of advice. Obviously, our faith and reason work together, right? Our reason is not suspended simply because we're getting advice from people. And we have to prudentially accept the advice. And also, you know, they have to prudentially give the advice. So they, they could be wrong. But if there is no, if we have nothing against it and there's nothing against faith and morals in what they advise us, why not? Why not? Somehow God can, can use that to uh, give us a lot of graces, you know, in, in taking up those suggestions. And, I mean, I, I don't know of anyone telling someone of, you know, who, whom they're leading or whom they're accompanying to do something uh, straight up evil. So, I mean, that's a rare thing, but, but reason is never suspended. So we always have to understand what they give us, what they, the advice they give us, and take it to our prayer and if we don't see it, then we simply say, "Well, I don't, I don't think that that's uh, something I, I, um, I can do, or I'm not ready for, or whatever." Obviously, the advice not being evil. Sometimes we think that spiritual direction is for when we have a problem and we need advice from somebody who's an expert at solving problems. And I would like to uh, actually suggest that that's not the moment for 
beginning spiritual direction. Although you could certainly, when if you if you have a problem, you should go get advice from people who can help you. But spiritual direction, I think, is broader than that. Spiritual direction should be seen not so much as an emergency room doctor who can, uh, you know, basically cure you and make you survive and save your life, as much as a person who is going to train you for the Olympics, you know, the Olympics of holiness, the Olympics of life, you know. It's a long-term thing. It's not just, oh, I have a problem and I, I go to the emergency room. And and again, if you have a problem and you, you need to actually get advice from someone, you should turn to um, spiritual direction. That could certainly be a, a great place. But what I'm trying to say is spiritual direction should not begin there. You know, it should be something that is 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 a habitual thing uh, from many years past. You know, and 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 the purpose of it is to grow in holiness, not so much to uh, solve a particular problem. And who should be your spiritual director? Well, it should be someone who is holy, someone who is humble. St. Teresa of Avila says, someone who is learned. She had many spiritual directors, and she suffered much with spiritual directors that were not learned, meaning that they were not trained or that they were not people who read about the spiritual life. You know, somebody who who actually understands what's going on is is very, very important. So it would be the equivalent of going to Mount Everest, climbing Mount Everest, and then you know, you don't you get someone to help you, but they have never been up to the top or they, they've never actually climbed that kind of mountain. Well, that's a very dangerous thing to do, right? Because they're gonna misguide you, they don't know the way. You want someone who actually has gone through uh, those struggles of holiness himself or herself. And that's, and either because they've gone through them themselves or because they are trained in that and, and they pray. You know, obviously the Holy Spirit is the one who is ultimately guiding, but that requires that the spiritual director have a, a relationship with the Holy Spirit a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit, right? St. Thomas says that having a person who is holy is, you know, something that aids us in, um, in spiritual direction because he says when someone has a reputation of holiness, it is easier to reveal to them the wound of one's conscience, you know. So now... I, I don't know what St. Thomas means by having a reputation of holiness, and, you know, like Mother Teresa or John Paul II or something like that. Maybe you can't get them to be your spiritual director, but someone not who is shining out like, you know, doing miracles and levitating, but someone who's simply trying to be holy, right? They're going to guide you properly if they're trying, at least they're trying, and they actually read and they themselves receive spiritual direction. I think that those are signs of a good spiritual director. And obviously the logical person for a spiritual director is probably a priest or or some some or a religious because they themselves hopefully are struggling and they themselves hopefully have someone to guide them. So they know what they're talking about. 
they know the business. Also, with the priest, there's a sacramental grace. And you can, you know, combine that with confession as well. Um, but also, it could be a lay person, a layman or lay woman, who also struggles for holiness and who also reads and is learning. Right. There's a, a special grace that parents have, I think, to guide their children up to a certain age. But after a certain age, it's maybe better that they introduce them to somebody who is their, you know, spiritual director or who who can help them, you know, mentor them spiritually. Um, what do we talk about in spiritual direction? Well, we talk about what's important to the heart, to the heart of, of the person. And that means about everything. And, and yet it's not just talking about, you know, whether my team won or not. It's not about that. It's about how all those things that I do talk about affect me, you know, and, and there are things that are irrelevant, right? Because we're not talking about uh, in spiritual direction, we're not talking just about the news. We're talking about, well, if we're talking about the news, it's because the news is affecting me spiritually somehow. So it's about how it affects my heart, where my heart is, where my desires are, where, you know, uh, where my falls are, what my main defect is, what my aspirations, my dreams, all those things that I have in my heart, in my interior world. It is those things that I want to talk about. And, and not just waste time by talking about other things that actually mean nothing to me or, or are irrelevant or are, or are too practical, you know, to try to solve a certain practical problem or something like that. It's not about that. It's really about my attitude towards all those problems, how I can sanctify all those contradictions that I go through. Of course, when I open up my heart in spiritual direction, I want to do so freely. There's great freedom in spiritual direction. I I could say whatever, whatever I should say it freely. Whatever I want to say, I should say. And um, and yet here's there's a, a kind of a fine balance because at the same time, I want to be sincere. I want to be fully sincere, but I want to be fully sincere freely, right? about who I am. There's a temptation that St. Maria warns us about is to hide a certain defect from our spiritual director. Because then, you know, we don't want to make ourselves known. At that point, we say, well, why would I do that? If I really want to go to and, and be holy, why would I hide something from them? Maybe it's because I, I fear that I may lose something else from that person. And then, well, if, if that is the case, then I, sh I should realize that a good spiritual director also is a person who is, who is, in the good sense of the word, disinterested in me. In other words, there is no special interest in, in, in getting, or an ulterior interest, I should say. There is no other agenda that, uh, there's no other relationship that, could be a conflict of interest. That's the best way of putting it, I suppose. 
there is no conflict of interest in any other area of my life. So it's not like my boss is my spiritual director. That would not be a good spiritual director, even if they're a good boss, even if they're a great spiritual director for somebody else, but not for me, if they're my direct boss, because there's there's a conflict of interest there, right? So yes, I could see that I wouldn't want to tell my boss everything because on my interior, about my interior life, because, you know, he may fire me or something. Well, that could be a fear. That's why I should not choose a spiritual director that that has some kind of relationship that may enter into conflict with simply just my my ultimate spiritual good. And that's what I mean by having a spiritual director who is disinterested. In other words, there is no other interest um, than my holiness. Obviously, it doesn't mean that the spiritual director is not interested at all. Of course, he's interested, but he's only interested in my holiness for a supernatural end, and that's it. And that way, I could open up myself because I have nothing to hide. I have nothing to lose. There's nothing that that I that I should fear, right? And of course, I should go in into spiritual direction thinking that here's a person that I can reveal all my defects to and all my sins because there's nothing. I have, you know, no problem with that. You know, I have to be comfortable with that. And I should do it freely because if I am coerced by some other good that I can get, if I don't, all that stuff, it just gets very complicated and I miss out on the graces that come with simplicity of heart and, and you know, truth and, and all that. St. Therese of Lisieux, she talks about how she was tempted to keep a temptation from her spiritual director. And it was, the, in fact, the day of her profession of vows. She says, on the eve of the great day, instead of being filled with the customary sweetness, my vocation suddenly seemed to me as unreal as a dream. The devil, for it was he, made me feel sure that I was wholly unsuited for life in the Carmel and that I was deceiving my superiors by entering on a way to which I was not called. I mean, this is a terrible temptation, especially on the day you're making your vows. I had uh, The darkness was so bewildering that I understood but one thing. I had no religious vocation and must return to the world. I cannot describe the agony I endured. What was I to do in such a difficulty? I chose the right course, deciding to tell my novice mistress of the temptation without delay. I sent for her to come out of choir, and though full of confusion, I confessed the state of my soul. Fortunately, she saw more clearly than I did, and reassured me completely by laughing frankly at my story. The devil was put to instant flight by my humble avowal. What he wanted was to keep me from speaking and thus draw me into his snares. But it was my turn now to ensnare him, for to make my humiliation more complete, I also told you everything, dear mother, and your consoling words dispelled my fears. Beautiful story. How simple St. Therese is, how even a simple soul like she is tempted to withhold something from her spiritual advisor, but she ensnared the devil. She ensnared the devil and spoke out immediately 
And as soon as she did so, the devil took flight. The devil can't really um, do anything with humility and with sincerity and with truth. It's totally confused. And that's the way to beat, as St. Josemaria called it, the mute devil. That mute devil. And then in spiritual direction, we want to be docile. That's the attitude we want to have. So I want to not just hear what what I am told as as the suggestions that are proposed, but also I want to listen carefully and I want to discern them, all those suggestions in in my prayer later, right? And maybe I don't fulfill all of those things because I'm weak. Fine, no problem. But what I want to do is I want to joyfully try to do so. Try to do all those things that I'm suggested. Kind of like um, Philemon. In the letter that St. Paul writes to Philemon, he St. Paul wants Philemon to do something freely, not out of necessity, but as he says, I did not want to do anything without your counsel in order that your kindness, Philemon, might not be, as it were, of necessity, but voluntary. And in this particular case, St. Paul is asking Philemon to take back a runaway slave who has become a Christian since he ran away. And, and St. Paul says, perhaps indeed he departed from you for a short while so that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but instead of a slave as a brother most dear, especially to me. And he says, if he has done anything wrong to you, if he has done any injury to you, please uh, put it on my account, right? Because I love him and please forgive him. I mean, he's St. Paul is asking Philemon to forgive this runaway slave who has done a lot of harm to him probably. And, um, and he's saying, listen, take him back and treat him no longer as a slave, but as a brother, as a brother, because he is now um, in the faith, right? And then St. Paul says something that I think every spiritual director um, should be able to say of anyone they guide. Trusting in your compliance, I am writing to you, knowing that you will do even beyond what I say. You know, they, whatever, whatever we hear in spiritual direction, we should be eagerly learning, eagerly um, listening, knowing that we will try to do our best and they can have the confidence that yes, we will, we will even do more for God than, than they suggest because we're putting our whole effort into it. You know, they, they say that blessed Alvaro used to be, uh, suggested a, a, a point of struggle and, and let's say it was like repeating aspirations or or doing some acts of charity or something like that. That was called his particular examination of conscience. And that in less than a week, he would be going back to the person who was guiding him and saying, you know, I'm, I, I've, I've done all these things. I'm ready for the next challenge. And, and, you know, the people who would, the person who would be guiding him would be, you know, so impressed with the fact that Blessed Alvaro was just, always eager to outdo himself, you know, in the suggestions that he received in spiritual direction. Well, this is a great attitude to have.
ourselves when we go to spiritual direction, um, not going there with an attitude of, of um, I don't know, critical judgment, but one of humble learning. We want to learn. And of course, our reason is never suspended, so we take it to our prayer and we discern whether that makes sense for us. And obviously, we cannot do something that is blatantly evil, if that were ever the case, but that's that. hopefully that's never the case. Um, but spiritual direction that way, well, it works. It works with the grace of God. And and slowly but surely, we are led to holiness with, with uh, an attitude of sincerity and docility, uh, led by the hand, like St. Paul was led by the hand into Damascus to Ananias. Well, let us turn to Our Lady as we finish our prayer and ask Our Lady to help us be guided humbly, just um, like she was humble and she called herself the handmaid of the Lord. We too want to take the attitude before God of, of doing whatever he wants us to do and we can discern that will of God through our prayer, through many events of our lives, but also a big chunk through spiritual accompaniment, spiritual direction, spiritual guidance. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.